Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Danny Lure, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the continuation of my monthly tradition of doing tiers on the first podcast of a month. This is March, so this will be the second to last one. Apologies for a little bit of a delay. This is with Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post. We recorded this on Thursday, where there was a lot going on. Fortunately, not too many major dynamics in the league have shifted between now and then. Very fun conversation, about an hour 20, about where the league is now, where it's going, what we're looking forward to this summer. And two sponsors for this episode. Very excited to welcome SeatGeek to the Real Jam Radio Fold. You can check them out at the SeatGeek app. It's my way for buying and selling tickets. And you can enter the promo code REALGM, R-E-A-L-G-M, for a $20 rebate on your first order. And then all of my old friend, Blue Apron. Blue Apron, the fantastic food delivery service and purveyor of cooking confidence. You can go to blueapron.com slash realgm and you can get three meals for free, including free shipping on your first order. Again, Tim Bontemps, about an hour 20. Love the conversation. Hope you love it too. Thank you so much for coming on. Happy to do it, Danny. Looking forward to it, man. This is, uh, I remember you telling me before the year you were going to do this idea, and I'm, uh, I'm glad to get to uh, do it this time. It should be a lot of fun. Well, yeah, you were a part of the inspiration for it because we did it. Well, you, with you, it was pretty early in the off season, right? I believe it was during my uh, cross-country drive. That sounds right. Oh, yeah, we was, recorded like four of... podcasts. <laughs> Yes, I believe it was part of the I believe it was part of the cross country drive. Uh, as I was driving through the night to Omaha, Nebraska, we uh, we we got a bunch of stuff done, and then one of them was uh, was doing I think I believe it was a preseason tier spot, and that that led to you deciding to do it during the year, which I thought was a good idea. And I, like I said, I'm uh, happy to be part of this one. It should be fun. I decided to to focus for myself on this one more on regular season success because I feel like this is really the last one where we can do that because once it hit April first. It's more about the playoffs, you know. There, there are teams that are that'll be on the margins, but really, it's afterthoughts. So that was the the rationale that I used. And considering all of the things that have happened in the last couple weeks, both trade deadline, injury related, and everything else, there are a lot of different things that I had to think about while parsing all of these different elements and like who fits and where. Were you, were you similarly troubled? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, part of this exercise is I've, there's been so much going on on my end that I, I think I'm going to do it kind of off the top of my head on the fly, and, and I've thought about it a little bit, but I, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot, like you said, between the trade deadline, between you know certain injuries, I think we're going to probably get to right off the top, between you know just certain teams playing well, others falling off. There, there, it has really been a very eventful, you know, I'd say probably month now in the NBA. Between that and for a lot of teams, what's a very busy March, you know, a lot of teams really have a lot of games going on over the next few weeks. It's, it's going to be pretty fascinating to see from where things are now to where they are at the end of uh, at the end of March, how, how things shake out and, and how much things change. Yeah, we'll start with the West because the West is now substantially more interesting than it was a week ago. And Kevin Durant has an, a grade two MCL sprain. And the basic question, which has been one of the leading ones when I've talked about the West on these for the last three, four months is, are the Warriors by themselves? Um, I still think so. I know we're recording this on Thursday night after they lost to the Bulls today. I would argue that Steph and Clay, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson going three for 22 from three has really nothing to do with Kevin Durant and uh, a lot to do with them just struggling. Steph, I think, is now four for 31, last three games from three, which is also abnormal. I don't really see that continuing for the rest of time, so I have a feeling that will sort itself out. And, uh, I, I mean, to me, I mean, look, is Kevin Durant an amazing player? Of course. Are the Warriors as good as they are with Kevin Durant without him? Of course not. 
However, I think people have forgotten in some ways that they still have three of the top 15 players in the league. Some would argue maybe three of the top 10 players in the league besides Durant. Uh, they're going to be just fine. And I still think if the playoffs started today, they're obviously the margin for error would be much smaller. And I would not necessarily think it'd be a cakewalk to get to the finals or win a championship. But I certainly think that, in my opinion, they'd be favored against every team in a playoff series except for possibly Cleveland even still. So I would have them alone at the top of the West. And I, I don't, Unlike other people, I don't really think the sky is uh, is completely falling on them. You have to remember that they're zero and one since cutting Jose Calderon, so there might have a little bit <laughs> yeah. of a curse on them. But <laughs> that's true. They also <laughs> lost their first game after cutting Anderson Vergeau. I, I now I'm one to think. Yeah, I think they've lost the game after they cut a bunch of different guys. Oh no, they won the game after Briante Weber's last game because that was against the Sixers. But that's against the Sixers. Anyway, speaking from my end, I'm doing it on the regular season. I have them in the same tier as the Spurs, just because it's entirely possible to me that the Spurs can make up that margin. It is on the it is on kind of the edges of it now, because even if the Warriors are a 50-ish win team without Durant, and I think they're much better than that, it's still a large burden to go over three games. But the other big reason is that the Spurs play the Warriors two more times. So if they win both those games, then it's more like a one-game difference. So I'm fine with saying that there's a separation. I'm also, your logic seemed to be more in terms of the playoffs or closer to full strength. I agree with that as well. But as a regular season exercise, I think that they're in the same group. Yeah, I think that that's fair if you want to look at it that way. I, I'll, I'll explain my logic on why I have it separate in, in a minute when we, uh, when we continue. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's fair. And I think if you want to say that, if you want to say the Spurs are in the same ballpark as them, I mean, look, the Spurs are what? Three games worse than them. I mean, they're they're on pace to win sixty five games. I think again. I mean, they're you know they're they're an incredible team. So I think that I think that's perfectly fine. Theoretically, if these two teams played without Durant, I, I don't know that I've really wrapped my brain around what that would look like because they haven't played a playoff series since twenty thirteen, and both teams are so substantially different. Well, I have a feeling on how it would go, but I, I'll get into that when we get into the next section. Sure. Well, so, okay, so so you have so I guess then my part is I have the Warriors and Spurs together, and then have the Rockets by themselves below that. Do you have those two teams together, or do you have each of the three separate? I, I have those two teams together, and I think that the Rockets may have the best chance to beat the Warriors of any team in the NBA in the playoffs. Interesting. I I am thoroughly fascinated by the Rockets. I think that. The Mike D'Antoni experiment in in Houston is being done to its fullest potential. I recently wrote a very large and long story about how offense in the NBA has evolved over the last 15 years to kind of now being at its peak right now. And a large part of that story, as you might guess, was talking to Mike D'Antoni about his teams in Phoenix with Steve Nash and and now kind of what he's doing in uh, in Houston with James Harden. And and I, towards the end of the piece, I, I had asked Mike, you know, if we kind of tapped out what we can do offensively right now. And he said, well, I would have said 10 years ago that, that we'd probably tap things out and here we are doing better. So I'm not going to necessarily say that, but you know, the one thing we could do is get down to a game where we have zero, we have zero mid range shots. There was a game earlier in the year. We had five mid range shots. I'd like to get to zero. Well, well, earlier this week, they played a game where they had three mid range shots the entire game. And I, I think that there's a very strong possibility that the Rockets will actually have a game this season where they don't have a single mid-range shot. And I, I think that they're, I mean, they're putting up 50 or 60 threes a game and it's just remarkable to watch. And I think that with James Harden and with all the offensive weapons they have, 
they have a team that could theoretically go 25 for 60 from three in four games in a series. And that might be enough to beat Golden State. I think that you have a better chance of doing that and beating Golden State the best than any other way. So to me, this Houston team, I think, is the second best team in the West, even though they don't have as good of a record as the Spurs. I think if they play in the playoffs, I think that the fact that Tony Parker and Pau Gasol are a point guard and center for the Spurs is going to leave San Antonio really vulnerable on defense. I think that both Houston and, San, and Golden State can really exploit that. So I, I actually think that Houston right now will make the conference finals and play just, in my opinion, an epic slugfest against the Warriors. Even if they don't win the series or and even if they only win, say, one game, I think the games are just going to be, you know, 135 to 130, just absolute slobber knockers like that game, a double overtime game in uh, Oakland back in November between these two teams. And I really think that that Houston team is legit. So that's why that's why I was kind of waiting for this section. Cause I think to me, it's if I was ranking them in order of, I think in terms of town in the West and, and like to where things stand right now, I actually think it's golden state Houston, San Antonio with Houston, and San Antonio in their own second tier. That's fascinating. And there's a lot that I agree with there. Also two other factors that you didn't mention that I'm sure are considerations for you is that Houston's defensive talent is a little bit underrated. They're not necessarily bringing it every night, but they have guys they can defend. Like they have Trevor Ariza. Patrick Beverly, Trevor Ariza, and Clint Capella are all excellent defenders. Yeah. And and also their bench is not perfect, but monstrous in the way that a playoff run can go because they have players that can sustain their offense and just are a pain in the ass for defenses. And that's all you really need at that point. You know, it's great if you can have some specialists and have some players who can step into the starting lineup or in case of an injury, but Lou Williams, Eric Gordon, Sam Decker, their center rotation, like they have a lot of talent that it's okay if you reduce their minutes, but they're still going to make an impact. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think they're I think they're going to be monsters. And frankly, I think that team next year, when you look ahead, I mean, let's assume everybody stays healthy. You know, Golden State could lose several pieces off this team this year. You, you Zaza Pachulia could get a payday. David West could retire. Andre Guadal and Sean Livingston could have to move on. All that's very realistic. And, you know, if it's Golden State with four guys and a bunch of scrubs against, like you just listed off, nine or ten guys on this Houston team, that probably a lot of them are just going to get better, too. I mean, they don't have a lot of old guys. They, I think, could be neck and neck with them next season. I'm very high on Houston, and I think that, you know, I really, over the last month, I've gotten more and more excited about a possible series, and I just think that would be an utterly fascinating conference finals. So from a neutral standpoint, I I would really love to see that, and I I would like it to happen. So, like I said, to go back to the very beginning, that's why I have Houston and uh, San Antonio in a tier by themselves in tier two. We're also looking a lot more at that potential Spurs-Rockets series, just as those two teams are getting more more comfortable. The Rockets are basically locked into the three at this point. I mean, it's just that that's really where Mm -hmm. things are. And yeah, the Spurs could actually jump up to the one line and and change that dynamic. But I, I think it's good to, so you have kind of that, sealed off at, with the Rockets at the three, you know, outside chance they move in, in one direction or the other, but I doubt it. So you go from there to the awkward morass that is the rest of the Western Conference from four to seven. And in terms mm-hmm. of the regular season, I have those four teams together. I fully expected the Clippers and Jazz to separate themselves. They haven't yet. I think when I do this a month from now, they will have, but they have not yet. So I'm going to have all four of them together for right now. Yeah, I think you kind of have to have them all in a group. I, I agree with you. I think Cleveland. I think Cleveland. I think uh, the Clippers and the Jazz are, are are a level above Memphis and Oklahoma City. But the bottom line is they're all within. I think what two games right now or three games. Like you kind of have to. You kind of have to look at them as a group and say, all right, well, until further notice, 
these teams are all in the same group and you know it's up to it's up to the Clippers and and the Jazz to prove that they're on another level and frankly I'm starting to wonder if they are I mean I'm not I'm not so sure that a month from now they're going to separate I mean you know look the, the Clippers have had some injuries but I mean it's also at this point like when are they gonna when are they gonna take that step I mean they, they should have I think by now and if you know if they haven't done it by now maybe they're just not going to do it maybe they just don't have the horses I mean kind of the same thing with Utah they've had some injuries but you know, they haven't had they haven't had a ton of injuries. They still certainly, I think, have a pretty significant amount more talent than Memphis and Oklahoma City when you consider that Memphis has gotten literally nothing from Chandler Parsons. And Oklahoma City, as we've talked about really all years, has, you know, quite a few issues outside of Russell Westbrook. So, you know, from my standpoint, you know, I think they all deserve to be in the same tier. And, and it, it will take a lot, I think, for me to really be convinced that needs to change anytime before the end of the regular season. Right now, how are you feeling about OKC versus Memphis right now well so as as we're recording this they're a half game apart but if Oklahoma City ends up beating Portland which is going on as we record this then they'll be tied I was originally leaning very heavily towards Memphis I I like their I like their team better and everything else but Oklahoma City improved pretty substantially at the deadline in a way that makes them more dangerous yeah, I actually think that I would lean Oklahoma City. I think Russell Westbrook is going to be healthy. I think that's a factor. You look at guys like Mike Conley, Marcus All, they're older guys who could break down. Thunder have a lot of younger guys. In general, you'd expect them. I know Victor Oladipo's hurt right now, but in, in general, you would expect them to be healthy. So I think that's a factor. And I, I just think if you look at them, I, I think you have to kind of you have to consider the fact that, that they're they're younger and deeper than Memphis in a lot of ways. Like I said, they've got nothing from Chandler Parsons. They're running Vince Carter out there. I mean, uh, to me, it, it, it won't shock me at all after that trade if Thunder wind up in the sixth seed. And it wouldn't even shock me that much if they wind up in the five seed. I agree with you. I think Taj Gibson and you know going to going to Oklahoma City for very little really. I mean, they they traded Campaign, who maybe he's going to be a nice player, but the bottom line is if you have Russell Westbrook on your team, he's not playing. And you, you upgrade on the wing with, you know, Doug McDermott, a guy who can shoot the ball at the very least, which some local city needs. And you go get Taj Gibson, who, you know, is a starting caliber power forward for a team that wasn't starting one. You know, even though I think Demodis Sabonis is good, he, he wasn't a starting, power, starting caliber power forward right now. I think you look at that combination, you have to really look at them and say, hey, that, that's a team that's a lot better. And, you know, I think the chances of them finishing in that sixth seed, uh, I think, have, have substantially increased. You filled in for me uh, doing the Twitter NBA show with Nate when I was gone for the trade deadline, and that was the trade that dumbfounded me most, just because the Chicago had pieces in Taj and Doug McDermott that were imperfect, but made sense for a lot of different teams, and they decided to cash them in. I don't have that much of an opposition to that in the abstract, especially because I didn't think they were going to re-sign Gibson, but using those to get just Cameron Payne, is dumbfounding because I've watched a lot of Cameron Payne the last couple of years, and there certainly is potential. He's only 22, turns 23 this summer, but they bought on him as being the answer when we haven't seen that definitively so far, especially not this year. Yeah, I think the Bulls have gotten a little unfairly maligned for this trade. I mean, look, they weren't going to re-sign McDermott. Or not re-sign McDermott. They weren't going to re-sign Gibson. So I think that is something that has to be considered. I know that they tried to find trade options for Gibson, and they didn't really they didn't really have a lot there for them, which I think is surprising. But if they, my understanding, it wasn't like there was a first-round pick out there that they could have got that they didn't get. So if you look at it that way, it's like, all right, we're not going to re-sign this guy. They clearly decided they were out on McDermott. I mean, to me, if, it's, if you trade McDermott for pain, is anybody looking at that thing and it's a bad trade? 
I don't really think so. So I think if you I think if you kind of look at it from a standpoint where, all right, we couldn't get anything for Taj. You know, we'd like to get a first for him. We couldn't get someone to give us one. Let's turn him into something as opposed to like they did the year before, letting Todd, you know, Pavish all walk as a free agent, not getting anything for him. I think in their eyes, it's like, all right, we can get Bobby Portis some minutes. We can try some other guys, and we can bring in a guy in campaign who we like a lot. So. I agree with you. I, I thought they could have got. I didn't like. I didn't like the trade that much. But you know, the more reporting I've done on it, the more I've heard that they're just. They just didn't seem to have the kind of traction on Gibson that I expected. You know, I, I think that, that getting something for him as opposed to just hanging on to him, letting him walk, is better than nothing. The two teams that I think about in that context that I, and would be very frustrated if they didn't offer first are Boston is a one, not with their, the Nets picks. Obviously those are way too strong, but their own 2018 for Taj, which was a deal we did in, in the mock deadline. I think that makes a lot of sense. And Utah has two late first round picks this year that are just there. They already have so many guys on their roster and yeah, I know they wouldn't want to make Boris Diaw or Trey Lyles or whatever unhappy. He would have helped them so much just by being another yep. stable rotation player. And Utah, I understand that for a long time, they wanted to maintain their payroll flexibility, the idea of extending, renegotiating, extending George Hill, which I was a, a supporter of, assuming he was amenable to it. And they maintain that flexibility for a good reason. And the nature of the trade deadline is that it occurs about a week this year. It was usually about two weeks before the renegotiation extension deadline. But that means you just have to have your ducks in a row. And they sat on that space, sat on two late first round picks, which maybe they can use to either just draft guys or to, to move up in the draft. That's the, it's not like those are wasted at this point. But they had all of these assets. And as of now, in a year where they could make some real traction, they did not get enough for them. So they still have the opportunity to do something with it, but it feels like a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, I agree on both counts. I, I mean, I think it was a, a, a really bad job by the Celtics. I, I think they definitely should have went and got Gibson. I think it would have made them a lot better. And I agree on Utah. I think I think at some point you have to just wonder if that team just is fine not spending money. I mean, I, I feel like every year they're short of the salary cap. You know, this year they claim they were saving money to – you know, do the renegotiation and extension. They didn't get that done. I feel like if you're going to do that, you should know what the number's going to be. You know, if you're, if you're going into that, you should have an idea if you can get that done or not. And to me, it's either a bad job of not knowing how much money it's going to take and not being able to get it done or just simply not offering it then and getting it done that way. But look, I, I can promise you, I think if, I think if you called the Bulls at 245 on uh, last Thursday and said, we're going to, you know, we've got a first, we go, hey, it's Utah here. We're going to offer you a first round pick for Taj. I think they would have done it. Like, I don't think this was a, I don't think it's a feint. I think it's a, well, let's go get a guy we like for this guy, for McDermott, who we don't like clearly at this point, as opposed to just sitting on him and losing him for nothing. So I think, I think if you look at it from that standpoint, I think that trade is a lot more defendable than I think a lot of people gave it credit for in the first place. Well, yeah, and all, I should I should add. All that being said, I think it's a great trade for Oklahoma City, terrific trade, and I, I do think it's really helped them a lot. Yeah, I think it's helped them immediately. It's given them just so much so much help, and and it took away Donovan's whether it was his impetus or or front office, I don't know. That playing Sabonis, who is not I think you could bad. probably guess. Yeah, I think yeah, you could I, probably I, guess. The I was being there. I was yeah. being polite, but if, if you <laughs> if you kind of take that away from them and add in a much better player, whether it, whether he actually starts or just plays a lot of minutes and comes off the bench, like it, it just makes everything so much easier. It makes everything work for them. And McDermott, I mean, they need a spacing in the worst way. So they can make it work. And 
they're still an imperfect team. They were always going to be an imperfect team, but they're more versatile now. And I think that they they can win. They can win more ways. And that certainly makes them better in the regular season, but also makes them a little bit more potent in the playoffs. And that's where I actually wanted to go with this. So it's certainly not set, especially now with Durant's injury, that the Spurs and Rockets will be the two and the three. But for the sake of this exercise, let's do it that way. If we were to say that the Spurs and Rockets are the two and the three, and then the Grizzlies and Thunder are the six and seven in either order, which set of series would you rather see? Would you rather see Spurs, Thunder, and Rockets, Grizzlies, or would you rather see Spurs, Grizzlies, and Rockets, Thunder? It's a great question. I can't really decide. I kind of don't want to see Memphis play anybody, and I kind (laughs) of want to see the Thunder play both. I, I guess... Uh, and I feel bad saying that because I, I do enjoy Memphis, but I like they're, they're just kind of a we've this Memphis team. We've it's kind of like the Clippers, right? Like we've seen them this same iteration of this team so many times at this point that it's kind of like I, I know what I'm getting, right? So I kind of want to see something new. I, I guess, hmm, I, I guess, I guess the series you want to see is is Rockets Thunder, right? Like the Harden Westbrook thing. I, I, that would probably be pretty fascinating. I think the I think the Spurs would probably throttle the, the Thunder even with Taj just the way they're built, I just think it'd probably be tough for them. So, and Memphis will be interesting. They're kind of the big, big matchup there. So I guess, I guess that would be my, my choice. I would say, I would San Antonio, Memphis and Oklahoma city, Houston. What about you? I lean that way though. I do think a Rockets Grizzlies series would be fascinating. Just, I mean, it's the challenge of Tony Allen. Contrast and styles. Yeah, contrast con- and styles would be pretty great. Contrast too. and styles. Tony Allen trying to have that definitive late career series against Harden, which has not been his best matchup in the past. But to see that would be. Meanwhile, fun. by the way, meanwhile, by the way, if the Thunder win this game, they're a half game behind the Clippers. Yeah, they would tied with Memphis. If they and win one the- game behind the Utah Jazz, like yeah. I, it's not, it's not inconceivable that the Clippers are the seventh seed. Yeah. It's well, really not. If, we I mean, want to talk, if you want to talk about a series, happen. that's the first round series that I would most want to see in the West if it were possible is Clippers Spurs. Spurs Clippers. Yeah, if I could if I could lay it out, I think Clippers Spurs, Thunder Rockets and then and, the, and then the Rock fight. Jazz. Yes, and then the Rock fight I think would probably be the way I would like it to play out. I think if I had to to pick a scenario. Poor Jazz. Um, but yeah, like that's the thing about this Clipper team, man. I I like, I just, I mean, look, at this point, like, I, I'm not convinced that this is going to end very well. Like, I just, you know, I, I haven't, like, they've had good stretches this year and they're a good team, but I'm not convinced they're going to be able to separate themselves. But like you said, at some point, you have to just go, well, they haven't done it yet, so they're not going to. I mean, we are 60 games into the season now. I mean, it's hard to, even though they have had some injuries, it's hard to look at these teams and think they're anything but a finished product. About 14 months ago, I wrote a piece advocating for the Clippers to trade Chris Paul. And a part of my rationale was that I was looking into the future and said, you know, if they value championships, which was one of the premises that a lot of people lost when I wrote that piece, was that, you know, doing that. But basically what it was, was we know what they are and what they are is fine, but it's not championship relevant. It's just a team that can win a round or two and get knocked out. And if Steve Ballmer is okay with that, there's no shame in it. You know, I have, I have no opposition to a team, especially one that is already expensive going through that route. But if they had, if they didn't want that, if that wasn't the future that they were interested in, that the time was to strike then. And the part I didn't include in the piece, which was implied was they should also consider trading Blake Griffin at the same time. And now we're seeing really how that comes into play because the Clippers are, they're a good team. They're a fine team. There's nothing wrong with them, but 
they're not going to ever be better than they are right now unless they fundamentally fundamentally retool and they're going to get really expensive and very immobile soon too because now we know what the CBA is. We know where where this is going. If they re-sign both of those guys, CP and Blake, especially if they re-sign JJ, which I would expect they would do if they do the other two, this is their team for the next 3-4 years. Yeah, and I and I I don't think I mean most people in the league think JJ's gone too. So, I mean, wow. I, I think that you know, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna guarantee that. But I, I, the prevailing thought is that he will not be back um, with the Clippers. Just, I mean, mostly then, because then they're going to be worse team, too because they need him. Well, right. No, right. And if you look at that team, like if you're playing, if you're paying both Blake and and Chris thirty five million dollars or close, which is you know whether it's if you're paying one thirty five or one thirty two, whatever the difference is. I mean, those two and DeAndre, you're up at over ninety million dollars right away. You know, and that's before you factor in anything else. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that they're at a real crossroads. And, and this summer, they're ground zero in the NBA this summer and when most fascinating teams because, I mean, look, let's say let's say it is Clippers Spurs in the first round. You know, let's say that happened. Let's say, it's, let's say it's either way. Let's say it's them or the Rockets, right? Let's say the Clippers lose to one of those teams in the first round. If you're Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, like, are you signing up for that again? Are you saying, all right, well, we just didn't get lucky this time? Like, at some point, like, when does somebody there just go, you know what? This isn't working. Like, the fascinating thing there is if, like, if one of those guys says Sayonara there, which, you know, a lot of people there don't think is possible, and I'm not saying it even is possible, but, you know, if one of those or both those guys decides to go somewhere, that team is in huge trouble. Because, as you know, they've, they've traded picks. They don't have any flexibility roster-wise. I mean, they are just stuck. And it would be really fascinating to see what happened if if that took place so you know depending on how this year goes for them i think that they are you know one of the most fascinating teams to potentially you know pay attention to as we get into the summer and see what they do they are also the ultimate turning the keys on the submarine team because losing one of those two does not make it possible to replace the other so mm-hmm. and and if i were either of them and i for me they would have to have an open conversation because if one of them says they're leaving i would not want to stay because that team just isn't going to be that good i mean they'll be fine but you know the chris paul deandre jordan show would be worth watching they'd be a playoff team but they wouldn't be a great playoff team you know it'd be probably better than the blazers but not that much better than the blazers and they can get guys for the minimum, but they're not going to get anybody nearly as good as Blake Griffin. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a very fascinating spot, and, yeah. and JJ is really good. If they lose him, I mean, that's a that's a significant blow too. I mean, they're they're in a really they're in a really fascinating spot, and I, I don't I don't know how it's going to play out. I'll be fascinated to uh, I'll be very fascinating to see what happens. My other question with them, and this can't be resolved at this point, is if they re-sign both of them. And let's say next season goes like we both expect, would DeAndre consider leaving? Because he can opt out. You know, the benefit of, of the kind of contract that he signed was it was a three plus one. And while it seems like that was a like, like that just happened yesterday, that was two that was almost two years ago. Yeah, I know. And I, I would think, you know, I'd think, you know, I think that's definitely possible he could leave the next summer. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of things in play there. It's a very fascinating situation and it's uh like I said, it's one that I'm really having my eye on between now and in the summer because they they have a lot of directions they can go and I, I and even if they keep the band together even if they have the band together plus JJ I think they wouldn't be that good um, going forward because they have a lot of guys that are in their 30s and I, it's just a 
it's just a, a group that I think destined to kind of tail off. But it would be it would be pretty fascinating to see if they decide to keep that core together. If they don't resign JJ, if other people leave, I mean, it could it could go a lot of directions between now and July. Certainly could. Tim and I will get back to the Western Conference in just a moment, but I need to tell you about the new sponsor of Real Jam Radio, but a sponsor that I am very familiar with and enjoy quite a bit, which is SeatGeek. SeatGeek is my personal way of buying and selling tickets and has been for quite a while before they were a sponsor of any of my podcasts. And the reason why is because it is a great service. So they are able to save you time and money by being an aggregator. So that means you don't have to go combing around the internet, looking at various ticket sites to find the right tickets. That's a big part of it. But another one, and as somebody who knows the business really well, buying and selling tickets used to be what I did for a living before actually I started sports writing full time. And what SeatGeek does through their algorithms is that they give a deal score and the deal score tries to combine ticket quality and the price to say, these are the best tickets. These will give you the best bang for your buck. And I have a lot of confidence in my ability to discern this. I made a living doing it, especially venues in the Bay Area where I live that I know well, not only for sports, but also for concerts. And what I kept on finding, I challenge myself with these sorts of things, is that their deal score was was nailing it. And while I still do incorporate my own judgment, I can't I can't say definitively that I lean on them entirely because that's I have too much ego to do that. They do an amazing, amazing job. And also on top of that, I know whenever people try to use a new thing, they worry about it. Tickets are fully guaranteed, so you can you can shop on Seeky, you can buy tickets with confidence that it will that will they'll make it happen. And also, you know, as I said, you can go all over the map with it. It's not just sports. Entertainment in all varieties is a great way to do it. Theater. I haven't used Seeky for theater yet, but I actually really want to in the near future. There are a couple shows that are coming around. The other reason why it's great to try out SeatGeek now if you haven't already, or is to use the promo code. So what you do is you download the SeatGeek app, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K, and then you go to the settings tab and you do add a promo code. The promo code, it's easy to remember. I try to do it for all Real Jam Radio podcasts. It's Real GM, the name of the site that I write for, the site that I've written for since 2009, Real GM Radio, the podcast you're listening to. When you do that and you enter the promo code, the first time you make a purchase, which was to an event that you were going to go to anyway, they give you $20 back as a rebate. So it's a thank you for using the site and it's $23 for you. It tells them that you came from us and it's a way into an app that I personally use all the time. So again, that is the SeatGeek app. You enter the promo code REALGM, R-E-A-L-G-M, and you get $20 back on your first order. Now back to Mr. Tim Bontemps and the rest of our conversation. We're halfway through the Western Conference in terms of number of teams, seven uh, seven and eight, close enough. So I'll, I'll run through the eight teams that are left, and then we can talk about how to divvy them up. Nuggets, Blazers, Timberwolves, Dallas Mavericks, Sacramento Kings, New Orleans Pelicans, Suns, and Lakers. And... Do you want me to go first, or do you want do you want to go first in terms of how to kind of? I think it's probably I think it's probably four and four. I'd probably go the top four team. I don't remember exactly the order. I I would say the I would say Sacramento, New Orleans, the Phoenix, and the Lakers are at the bottom, and then the other four in a group above them. And I would say that's probably the way I divide it up. That I have the same differentiation, except I do draw a little bit of a line between the. Sacramento and New Orleans and then the Suns and Lakers where it's like the low slim to no chance of making the playoffs and then the dead no no chance of making the playoffs like that, that right that, that's probably fair I think if you go I think if you go four two and two that's that's probably that's probably fair 
So then we can focus on the four teams that are in that you know slim the, that are in the in the chances of getting the the eight seed. And the best way to do it is, or what are you thinking is the is the order in terms of most to least likely of making the playoffs? And how are you feeling about each one of those teams? To to repeat it for clarity, it's Denver, Portland, Minnesota, Dallas. I think it's Denver. Portland, Dallas, Minnesota in that order. I think Denver's very strong favorites to make that, that spot. Um, they have, the, I think, the most talent. They're the healthiest, I think, as of now. And I just think that, you know, if I look at them, I think they have the best path to it. Um, you know, I, I think all of them are pretty flawed. I think all of them are roadkill for whoever's the one seed, whether it's the, the, the Spurs or the Warriors. I think they get routed in the first round, no matter who it is. For all the people that, that want to talk about how fun the, the Nuggets are, I think they are quite fun. Like they also play literally no defense, including Nikola Jokic, their, their young center, who I think is very good. But I also think people just completely gloss over the fact that he's one of the worst defensive players in the league um, and just really just can't stop anybody, um, which which to me, it's one thing like, you know, I've, I've kind of coined the DFL thing about Isaiah Thomas. And like, I'm pretty open about the fact where I think Isaiah Thomas' defense is, but it's one thing to have a guard that doesn't stop anybody, like James Harden or Russell Westbrook or Isaiah Thomas. Another thing when your center doesn't stop anybody. So I think that long term is something Denver has to look at. But they're they're a very fun team. He's an incredibly fun player, and I I just think that you know the, they're they have a, always have a good home court advantage with their with the with the altitude. And I, I just think between now and uh, between now and the end of the season, if I had to pick, I, I would say that Denver is, is a pretty strong favorite to to get that eight seed. There's such a parallel between the Nuggets this year and the Blazers last year, where it's a, they are outperforming expectations, talented team, hadn't really done it before in this configuration, but that surprise leads some people to get a little bit too rosy about where they are now. Like The difference between the Blazers and the Nuggets is that this Nuggets team is young and cheap, and the Blazers team was a little bit older and was about to become more expensive, which is now what has happened this year, as the bloom has kind of gone right. off that rose. So I'm not selling on the Nuggets' future. I'm a believer in the Nuggets' future, though I do worry about Jokic in the same way that you do. The poster child for this right now is DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, there is... Uh, it is very hard to build a successful defensive team around a center who is not capable on that end. I think Jokic can get to, I think he can get to passable pretty easily, but I think he can get to league average or maybe even a little bit above that because he's a smart guy, but he's going to have to play with energy on that end. Like that's the energy and intelligence is really going to be where, where the line is. Marcus Gasol can be like his shining light on the hill of like what, what you can do with limited, limited athleticism, but a lot of intelligence and, and energy and communication. I don't think he's going to get there, but you could use that as an example. But the Nuggets have more of an open an open floor plan to really figure out how they're going to work around that. And in this year, I I was I mean I I've, people who listen to this podcast will know this. Like I always thought this was the Blazers' spot to lose because they just have more talent than everybody else. But they're just not figuring it out. And I have reached the point, especially now with the Nuggets having a three game lead as we record this, it could go to two point five or three point five. I just have to kind of sit there and go, well, if they haven't figured it out now, then why am I relying on this prior when we're starting to build a mountain of evidence that at least for the time being should take precedence? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they are what they are and I don't see that changing. So for me, for me, I think that, I think that it's Denver and I think pretty significantly. Dallas and Minnesota are kind of in the same boat where they've been surprising. It's it's more surprising in some ways for me with Dallas because Dallas traded away some of their good or let some of their good guys go. 
But, you know, you never want to sell off a team because they're not that far behind that if they just go on a little bit of a crazy run, kind of like an NFL team that wins their last four games, you know, they they can still make it in. But I would say both of those, it's like a 5% or less chance at this point. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's pretty accurate. I, I would I would say you've got that spot on. Anything else in the West that you think is notable that that is a part of the kind of figuring out the tiers at this point? Anything you're looking forward to seeing over the next few weeks? I mean, I guess if you want to talk about the the Cousins and Davis experiment, but, but I think that's been pretty well covered, and I, I frankly think that that team doesn't have a chance of really doing much this year at this point. So I, you know, I don't know how much we really want to get into that unless you want to try to do some kind of a look ahead. Otherwise I, I don't really have anything to say about the other three teams. I think they're just biding time until the, the end of the season at this point. The only thing I want to say is you talked about how the Clippers are the most interesting team to you for the off season. And they're certainly high on my list. I haven't really thought about if well, there's a, more. there's a few, there's, there are a few of them, but I have a feeling I know which one you're going to mention. But this is not a team, but a player. Drew Holiday has a really big decision in front of him because he fits in well a lot of different places. And the difference between him and a lot of the other high-end point guards, and there are a lot of them in this free agent class. I mean, we expect a lot of them to stay where they are, but they exist, is that he's not in a perfect situation. So it's not George Hill debating between the Jazz and the Knicks or whatever other teams you want to think about. I could totally see Drew Holiday looking at some of the other options and going, especially if the money's even or close to even, and going, no, that sounds better. You know, he never chose to join the Pelicans. He signed that extension with the Sixers and then was traded there before the extension kicked in. And I'm not sure that playing with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis together would be the most fun thing for a point guard. I mean, it depends. It's a lot of personality. It's a lot of gameplay fit, but he is going to get about a month to figure out, is this how I want to spend the next few years of my life? Yeah, no, it's very true. You know, I think it's just going to come down to him getting a lot of money and uh, deciding to stay. But but yeah, I, I think it's possible he could leave and he, and he could get a lot of money from a lot of places. I mean, you know, there's, there's been a lot of teams that are interested in him. He's a player, so... Um, and I, and if he leaves, that could set up a lot of other dominoes because if he leaves, they can't really replace him. And then they're stuck with Drew with, uh, Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins, anybody to get him the ball. And I, it's just, it could be a big snowball effect. So he is another guy that's interesting. Oh, you're going to mention the Lakers just because of all the stuff they have going on this summer. But, um, you know, there, <laughs> well, there's the, a lot. The most, the lot, most interesting be, pick protection in the league. I mean, that situation is just yeah, absolutely there, there's a lot. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It, it's going to be a really fascinating offseason on a lot of levels. I mean, there's a lot of teams that there's a lot of teams that are at a crossroads for a lot of different reasons. And it, I think it's going to be. I think, I think we could look like obviously last summer with KD was pretty big for a lot of reasons, but I think we could look back on 2017 as, a, as an incredibly consequential season for a lot of reasons. Between a lot of these choices these teams have, plus the draft. I mean, I think which is supposed to be your draft. I think. You know, it could really be it could really be a, a consequential you know six weeks between mid June and August. We could see as much of a, as a third of the league point to this off season as the one that really separated them as either being in that bottom group for a long time or not. And that is true of teams like the Lakers that have that have kind of weird flexibility. The Suns 
They're going to have to figure out what's going on with their whole team. Just a lot. Sacramento. Sacramento is probably going to be in a holding pattern for another year. This could be definitive for the Sixers. You know, there are just so many teams in that area that are going to have both opportunities. And that means the opportunity to make mistakes as well. So the Knicks largely cast their their lot last year. And there are a couple teams like that 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 really did it. But last year was more about solidifying teams in the middle. This year, I think, is more about teams at the bottom and then on the fringes of contention. Yeah, no, it's I'm, I'm excited. I mean, there's a lot. It's going to be fun on the court between now and then, but it's going to be going to be even more fun. Um, it's going to be even more fun this summer, I think. When you know, especially with the new CBA kicking in, I mean, it's, it's a lot, a lot of stuff to a uh, lot of stuff to sort out. We'll start out the East. I assume we're going to go in the same direction with that with a team that does not have as has much of a, a thing to deal with this summer, and that's the Brooklyn Nets, just because they don't have their pick. And we don't know who's going to take their money. But do you have anybody else with them at kind of the bottom of the East? Um, trying to think. I just think their, their I, record I is I, so I, much worse. Like there are other yeah, teams. Like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they have to be by themselves. They have to. Be, the next group, the next group can be more teams. They, they, yeah, you're 100 percent right. They have to be by themselves. Nobody else is close. Yeah. So they're they're my tier seven by themselves, and then. I actually put the Sixers in tier six by themselves, largely after the, the dual hits of Ben Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid being out for the rest of the year, because they're hopeless for this year in terms of record, but they're but they have they have more banked wins than the Nets, so they get to be a little bit separate. Yeah, I actually would put the Knicks, Sixers and Magic all in one group. I, I think they're all hopeless and um you know the Sixers obviously lost Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons recently, but I, I, I think all those teams are are, are going to start just falling apart between now and the end of the season, and it's going to be mostly a race to see um, who can lose more games from that group. And considering those teams are only a couple, I guess we'll use the word behind the Lakers and the Suns, we could see one or two of those fall in and start to make this a real a real interesting thing in the lottery because. I don't know that the Lakers are cohesive enough to just actively try to lose at this point. And, this, you know, the Suns are, are in a different boat as well. So if we start to see the, the Lakers and Suns creep up to like 20 or 22 wins, and then those other teams are just like right there, I'm going to get really excited. I mean, it would be pretty great. <laughs> I could uh, I could definitely sign up for that. That would be a, a tankathon involving the Laker pick would be pretty, uh, would be pretty great. It'd be pretty great. And then, of course, the Sixers having not only their own ping pong balls, but the Kings ping pong balls makes it, it adds another level of intrigue because then they they are the ones who get the Lakers pick if they happen to be the team that gets jumped. Not that they necessarily have to be. But yeah, all that's going to be absolutely bonkers. And so I think that's fair. I, I still have the Knicks and the Knicks and Magic a little bit separate just because their talent. I just think they're a little bit better, but that might just be unfair. You know, it might they, they it might be functionally no different at this point. Yeah, that's that. That's the way I look at it. And then I would have I would have the four teams I think fighting for the eight spot: Charlotte, Milwaukee, Miami, and Detroit, all in a group together in the next year for me. I had the Bucks in a separate one below, just because I don't I'm not really a believer in it. They haven't since Jabari went out. They have they've won some games, but they haven't really won games against good teams. Like they you know this, it, they beat the Suns, they beat the Nets. And then, other than that, there you know it was in mid February they beat the Pistons and the and the Pacers. So I I'm not totally writing them out yet, but they're to me they're awfully close. Yeah, it's, uh, I just look at all those teams as the same. I mean, I think your points are right. I just think all those other teams have been pretty bad too. So that's true. More that 
it's more that I just look at all of them in kind of a similar fashion. And I don't think anybody deserves to be above the other. So I just have them all clumped, you know, clumped together in one, one big group. I mean, it, it's kind of like the bottom of the West where I, I just, you know, these teams all stink. So it's just kind of a, it was just kind of a way of, of grouping together how they stink and then, and then uh, moving on beyond it. I banged the drum on the Hornets for a while because I was a believer in their talent. I thought I still think Steve Clifford is a great coach and, then you see what has happened to them in the last little while. Tonight, they lost to the Phoenix Suns, who obviously are not particularly good. Actually, yeah, I mean, they lost by 17 to the Suns. And it's yeah. just sitting there going, what is this? You know, like, like, I mean, yeah, I understand why they were why they were hurt without Cody Zeller. Zeller is a, one of these guys in the league that has become strangely important, largely because of the absence of substitutes. But he's also a good player. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to diss Cody Zeller by saying he's not good. He is, but he's more valuable because of the replacements. He's back now. I mean, maybe he's not 100, percent but he's back now, and there's they're still not exactly inspiring hope. Yeah, no, they're 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 not good. I mean, they're, they're not good and, and I don't see it changing. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty comfortable in that. And that's why, like I said, I have the four, those four teams up through, you know, 11 through eight all in one group together. And I haven't drawn up a list yet, but I would like to draw a little thing of the kind of the teams that we already feel are hopeless, wherever we want to draw that line. So, you know, definitely the very bottom of each conference of how often those teams play each other, because those games will actually end up being really important, considering how closely clustered a lot of these are right now. No, I I agree. I mean, it, that a lot of this is going to come down to who plays who, and uh, that's part of why I think Denver's going to be in good shape. They have a very very soft schedule, especially early on here, so that's why I like them. And you know, I haven't looked at it in the East, but probably whoever plays the worst schedule will probably be the team that gets in in the end because they're you know it's really just kind of going to be a you know a, a race to not screw it up as opposed to race to actually get in. For bad teams, I generally look at wins, and for good teams, I look at losses because that's you know you can bank the other side a lot more easily. That's kind of the point. And there are eight teams right now with 24, 25, or twenty six wins. That is a ton of teams that haven't that haven't separated themselves. And then if you add in the ones that are the the teams Philly and Orlando that are at twenty two, which I think are a little bit separate, there's a lot of movement that will really affect it, especially for those who believe that. You know, that there are tiers in this draft, maybe you have Markel separate, Markel Fultz separate, but having the fifth pick and having the 12th pick are hugely different things. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's why you're right, and that it's going to be a very interesting final. Like, when we get to about March 20th and everybody kind of starts to see where it's going to be at, I think we could have an epic tankathon, you know, over the final three weeks to try to, you know, get yourself in the best position possible. So it'll be fascinating to see um, how that shakes out and who winds up where. Going to take a quick break from the basketball talk to tell you all about Blue Apron. For those of you who've listened to the podcast for a while or listened to Dunked On because Nate and I talk about it a lot, I am a huge fan of Blue Apron for a, a wide variety of reasons. And as somebody who just went on a trip and was had the benefit of not having to, to cook it all and eating good food, I realized how much I missed that experience. The idea of being able to, to pick the meals on Blue Apron, look at it ahead of time. I was just looking. I always do it a couple weeks ahead. There's a spiced chicken dish that looks awesome, Zatar spiced chicken, and then some crispy cod sandwiches because the seafood is always really a, a highlight with Blue Apron. I'm not the biggest seafood fan normally, but it's always so so fresh and so good that I really do look forward to it. And 
I get to have that experience again now being home and getting to do that. And so Blue Apron is a highlight, not only being able to pick the dishes, but being able to cook and to eat them. And it's a great way of enjoying good food at a reasonable price. And if you enjoy cooking, all the better for it. If you enjoy eating good food, it's also really well portioned. So there isn't food waste. And for if you're not somebody who likes cooking very often, you don't have to get excess of very various ingredients. They give you everything really well portioned and, and already there. So if it's you know more of like the kind of accessories or accoutrement that come with a dish, you don't have to worry about buying a, a bunch of celery or buying a bunch of you know spices or anything like that. It comes with everything that you need. And another reason that I really enjoy Blue Apron in, in terms of Real Jam Radio is that the way you can try it is really interesting. So you can get up to three meals for free on your first order, and that includes free shipping. So my hope is always that you will try it out and that you will like it as much as I do. I came into Blue Apron a little bit blind. I knew what they were, but I have was blown away early on, and it has continued to impress me, building up a, a repertoire, an actual binder that I have of dishes, not only that I enjoy eating, but that I'm comfortable making and modifying moving forward. So you can do all of that with Blue Apron. You go to blueapron.com slash real GM, just like Real Gym Radio, the podcast, and you can get three meals for free, including free shipping. Again, that is blueapron.com slash real GM. So your team is kind of in the eight seed mix. That's the Heat, the Pistons, the Hornets, and the Bucks. Yep. So then, do you have the Pacers, Hawks, and Bulls together, or do you see a separation anywhere in there? Pacers, Pacers, and Bulls. Okay, see, so Pacers and Bulls, abo- Pacers and Bulls above the Hawks? No, 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 no. Pacers and Bulls together. Okay. Below, below the top five. Okay, that's yeah, that, that's fair. I actually have the, I think the Pacers and Hawks. I have them above the Bulls. I just don't trust the Bulls at all, personally. They're probably going to yeah, be in the playoffs, I, I, but yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I just think them and Indiana are very similar. They both basically have one star and then a bunch of, you know, obviously they'd rather have Miles turn anybody on the Bulls, but the Bulls probably have, I think, better players overall that I like besides that. So I, I just think they're both about the same. Nate has brought up the point before, and I think this is very fair, about how the first couple weeks of the season were very unfair to Jeff Teague's reputation because like he was yep. just bad early on and he's been a lot better since and I think that's been a, bi- a big difference for them also figuring out you know, of course that Monte Ellis is not a part of the rotation I mean at least the starting, yeah, the starting lineup has has resolved a lot of their issues just because Teague is a good player but he's not a great defender and so putting somebody of normal size next to him made that a lot more passable and, and it, it helped a lot of the just kind of the, the ecosystem of their of their starting five work better so I trust them the most, actually. I trust them more than the Hawks, personally. That doesn't mean they'll necessarily finish with a better record because the Hawks already have, they already have a banked advantage of, I think it's three and a half games right now. And that's a lot to make up, even if you feel that, that the Pacers are better. So that's kind of, I could see that being different, but I, I like the Pacers and they also feed into the ideas because I think of the teams that are almost definitely going to be in the bottom four of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, the Pacers are the team I would want to play the least. Uh, maybe. I, I think Atlanta's pretty good. But, I mean, I, I could see what you're saying about the Pacers. They, they, I mean, look, Paul George is really good. So um, you saw last year they almost beat Toronto in a series. I, 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 w- I wouldn't necessarily sign up to play them. But I, I think Atlanta's on another level than both those teams, frankly. And I think, you know, they had that one stretch where they were very bad or in December where I think they went like 1-10. Another than that, they've been a very good team really all season. So um, I, I think they're on another level than those teams. I've 
also been thinking over the last few weeks because there's been a, a point, and I and I agree with the premise that their Atlanta's point differential is not nearly as strong as you would expect with a team, you know, at their record. But what I've been kind of working with the idea right now the last couple weeks is the idea that they're the new Memphis. So Memphis had a great defense and their offense was incredibly shaky. You know, this is more more before this year, but you know, it's still broadly true. And what happens when you have a great defense and a a bad offense is that you either play close games, which you often win, or you get blown out. And those teams are going to outperform their point differential. And there, those trouble signs are there. I understand why the people who say, you know, a team that, that it, it puts a gravity on it, you know, that a, te- a team with that sort of a situation just generally doesn't sustain that kind of success. But I can understand why they would defy that a little bit with their talent. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think that's uh, and I think I think they're a little different teams. I think that's a good comparison to them in Memphis and a, and a reason why they are similar. I wonder at the same point. So we, we talked a little bit in the in the earlier part about some different players and how they're how they could potentially use the rest of this season to think about things. Chris Paul is, is a great example of this. Paul Millsap is another. Millsap is not a player who will by himself decide a championship. You know, he's not that kind of a player, but he's really good. And what he decides to do, whether he decides to take the most money, choose a situation where he can win a championship, whatever he's going to do is exceedingly important, especially considering this could be the second year in a row where the Hawks lose an all-star for nothing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's, uh, you know, they're another one of these teams that's a bit of a crossroads point, and they, they could have traded Paul and didn't. And if he decides to leave this summer, you know, they, like you said, they go from having him and Al Horford both, but not having either of them in two years without anything to show for it. It wouldn't look great. Thinking out loud, this could also be the summer that brings back sign-in trades a little bit, just because we the last couple of years, there's been so much flexibility that sign-in trades were useless. You know, there wasn't really that much of a benefit. Now we're starting to get to a point where players of a certain caliber could want to go to teams that don't have space. And I think it's possible that we see that maybe with Millsap, maybe with a couple other guys, just because we have more teams on each side of the ledger at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. I th- I, again, I like I. I feel boring that I just keep agreeing with your points. But, but, but at the same point, some, I don't know. Who, I, I, but at the same point, I don't know who it is. In right. other in other years, you could see, you know, oh, look, look at this team. They're good, but they don't have they don't have the space. Like, and also because that leads to a hard cap. So it's not like Portland can do it or a lot of these other teams. You know, right. it, it is a it is a somewhat narrow window. But usually, I could like when when that kind of like when I think of that sort of an idea, it's almost always inspired by a specific team. Like, oh, look at the, you know, the Knicks or whoever else. And that isn't the way this is. It's just in the abstract. It's like, well, the good teams don't have space. So maybe one of the good teams will do right. that. But like, it's not like the Warriors could do it. The the Spurs theoretically could, but won't. You know, this, that that's another, if Paul, there, I can't, I think it was, was it Jeff McDonald who kind of casually mentioned that his, that, that pal's probably going to opt in, but it's like, that would totally change their off season considering San Antonio's I could do that, like other situations they could do, but like, it's so strange to have this idea that makes sense, but then not have teams identified like Washington's not going to do it either. Yeah. You wouldn't think so. I mean, it's possible. We wouldn't think so. So yeah, no, it'll be, I think you're right. It, it will be, it will be very interesting to see where he ends up, but 
it's def- he's definitely a little chess piece. He's just one of many chess pieces this summer that could really change the game depending on where he winds up. Are there any destinations that you think are particularly interesting or worthwhile for him? I mean, I think Minnesota and Denver are both teams that are going to make a run at him. I think you could look, I mean, the Lakers, I think they're going to try to spend their money on somebody this summer. They want to have an all-star, so if they don't trade for one, I could, I should see them going after him. I mean, you look at teams like the Knicks or teams like the Heat. You look at teams like, I don't think Detroit will have the money, but I think you could look around, and I think a lot of teams will be trying to find the ways to get their hands on it, maybe even maybe Chicago. I, I think you know I think there's a lot of teams that will look at Paul as a guy they want to try to bring in. And you know, Contra probably will look great in a couple of years, but I don't think they'll stop anyone from trying to sign him now. I bet Phoenix is going to try to sign him too, even though they have a probably. million power forwards. No, I, I, would make, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. At all. Somebody's going to offer him the money that makes it untenable, just like what happened with Horford. It's going to make it untenable for if Atlanta tries to play hardball. And I'm not saying, oh, you're going to be Atlanta, you're stupid if you don't offer him a full five year max. I'm not saying that at all. But it gets a lot harder to hold that position if you're getting a four year max or close to it from either one team or multiple teams. Yeah, I, I think so too, especially when you consider how much that, that max is going to be. I mean, it's. Ugh. It's really going to be tough. It's really going to be tough for some teams to swallow that, swallow that pill and do it. So, like I said, I I, I keep saying it, but this summer, <laughs> this summer is going to be, I think, even more interesting than last summer. It's like last summer, everybody had money, so like there was just stuff was just going to happen, and like people can say there were bad deals done now, but like, there was just a way, there was no way to avoid that. Like now, this summer, like there are a lot of consequential people in the market and a lot of a lot of teams, and as we've said several times, and these kind of you know inflection point situations where a lot can change and and you know it, it'll be I, I just think it's really going to be I really think it could be one of, one of those years that we remember for a long time for you know really shaping like you said maybe a third of the teams in the league and the way they are going forward that also will be the the question of in terms of who is the next team to trade a, a star or at least a, a star adjacent type of guy because this you know, if Boston is really going to start throwing some stuff out there, I don't think we're going to see a better set of assets available for a guy of, let's say, Paul George or Jimmy Butler's caliber than what Boston has, as long as they're actually going to throw those guys in an offer. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I I think Paul George could very easily wind up on the, on the Lakers because I could see them... Uh, Say we need to have an All Star. We're hosting the All Star game next year. I mean, I, I could see that being Genie Bus's annual mandate. Um, you know, so I, I, I could see him there. But but look, there's there's a lot of teams with pieces. I mean, you could have Denver get back in the mix. You could have Minnesota get back in the mix for some of these guys. Like there's gonna be a lot. Like I, I'm just I'm just so fascinated by this stuff. There's just so many things on the table. The Marcus could even get back on the table. Let's say Drew Holiday leaves. Maybe the the Pelicans turn around and say, well, you know, this was a good try, but, you know, we don't like the vibe we're getting from DeMarcus. We should turn around and move him somewhere. I mean, there's just there's just a lot, uh, you know, maybe most of it won't happen. Maybe all these guys will stay put and we'll just kind of, you know, kind of roll it back over. But I just think there's a lot of potential for a lot of things to change. And I just think from, you know, from our standpoint, it's people who kind of follow the, the inner workings of the league and the, the ins and outs of transactions and, and things moving around. Um, I think it's got a chance to be really fascinating. Indiana is at the epicenter of a lot of this because we've, we end up focusing and I've written at length about this and for various other teams in the past about the hardest decisions that general managers have to make. And if they, you know, if, if we're starting to sit here in mid June and this, the Pacers are basically what they are. And Paul George has not seemed amenable to agreeing to, an extension or whatever it's going to be, there are not many harder spots 
as a GM than either A, being Larry Bird and having, having to figure out what, what, whether to trade him or if so to trade him for, but also for any team other than the Lakers to say, what are we willing to give up? Because there is a very decent chance that we are going to spend that next year, however good we are, sweating bullets that he's going to leave. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's true. And and it, that's just another like, w- would um, you have like, that's the same reason why I would have considered trading him now if I were Indiana. But also this situation just changed because now if Durant's injury forces him out of an all NBA team and Paul George all of a sudden gets third team, your whole world changes. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't personally anticipate that happening, but but who knows? It could. I mean, it, it really could. Yeah, it, it could, and I think that they're more likely to be willing to offer it than the Jazz are with Gordon Hayward. I don't see if Gordon uh, Hayward. If Gordon Hayward, oh, oh, Gordon Hayward also is is. It's really complicated for how he would be eligible because he would technically have to would, opt in. He would have to opt in. He would have to opt in. I, I think if I think if he wouldn't. Uh, I think if they wouldn't offer him that, he would leave. Frankly, so I, I think I think the Jazz will offer him whatever it takes to resign him. But that's just okay. that's just my opinion. It's good to know. So okay, so we're down to the final. Well, four. to me, it's like it, it, to me to me with that, it's you're the Utah Jazz. Like, what are you um, what are you doing? If you're not going to pay him, like, who are you going to pay? So that that's the way I look at that. It's just I, I just don't think they're. I just don't think that's going to be an issue personally. And I actually I actually have Atlanta and Toronto in the same group. Interesting, because so, of the Lowry injury. Yeah, I think that that I think that that's a significant development. There's no, it's not guaranteed Lowry's going to be back by the time the playoffs start. It's not guaranteed he's going to be healthy by the time the playoffs start. Like, and unlike unlike say Kevin Durant with the Warriors, they don't have the margin for error. And I think it could very easily not be hosting that series. It could be starting in Atlanta. And do I do I think that that Toronto wins the series? Still, probably um, if Lowry's healthy. But I, I I I am definitely not convinced that it's a sure thing. Their ownership and Masai and everybody else just have to has to be so so nervous because they're dealing with just so many moving parts because I, I when I heard about the Lowry injury the first thing I thought was how the hell are they going to figure this out because Serge Ibaka is a pending free agent and they might get 10 games if they're lucky to figure out whether Lowry, DeRozan and Serge Ibaka is well, they're worth- not I don't yeah they're not I mean they're not getting 10 games I mean they haven't so far they've had none and I I think that they're to me, they're luck. They'll be lucky. I mean, I guess you've gotten playoffs, but I'm right. Not I am. They're going to get yeah. Okay, so maybe in the playoffs, but yeah, like I, they might not get a single regular season game to figure that out, which is obviously not ideal. They might not get a single playoff game if Lowry doesn't come back full strength. You know, if, if, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, they might not. And so, not. what would they do with that? And then this ties in with something you and I have talked about privately a series of times, which there is this assumption from various levels of people, whether it's casual fans or media members, that like, oh, well, if they re-sign Serge Ibaka, then they can figure out something to do with Valanciunas. And Valanciunas is on a, a reasonable contract. I'm not saying anything otherwise. But spending as much time as I have fake trading centers around the league, you realize how few destinations any non-elite center, especially a non-elite center that is on a uh, an eight-figure contract, can really have. Because... They there just aren't that many teams that are sitting there going, oh man, that's that we need that guy, and we're gonna give up, even if we're not giving up many assets just to make it happen. I, I kind of disagree with Valanciunas. I, I think he because like to me, if you're trading him, they're they're probably trading him to just get rid of, get rid of the money, and I think they could get rid of his money pretty easily, um, especially in a summer where there are a decent amount of teams with some cap space, and you know, let's say a team like Sacramento Kings that 
you know, doesn't have a lot of assets. I mean, you could get, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying they get a ton back for him, but I, I think they could, I think if, you, if they decide to move out to get off that money, I think they could do it kind of easily, it, even though, you know, it's not that long of a deal. He's only making, I think 16 a year for three more years. It's very, it's pretty reasonable. Um, I, I think they could find a home for him if they, if they need to. And, and we have, we have talked about that. And, I, and like, to your point, I don't know if you're getting value, you know, I, I think getting any kind of value is tough, but I, I think if you just try to get off that money and give them away for pretty much like, it's not like Moskov and Dang saying in, in, in with the Lakers, right. Where you can't, you can't move that money or Joakim Noah with the Knicks or, or even somebody like Yamahimi, who I think is a better player than those guys with Washington. Like those, those are contracts. You're just, it's going to be very difficult and not impossible to move. Whereas I think that Valanciunas is somebody that, that could be moved if they decided they need to get off that money and save a little, I think they could find a home for him. They also would probably, if part of the goal is to get out of the luxury tax or reduce the luxury tax bill more accurately, they would want to make that move in the summer because it's just functionally hard, especially now where the salary cap is staying about the same. There are just going to be fewer teams with a boatload of, of available space once we get into the season. So they would have to be very proactive in that. They certainly could be. I mean, I, I, I can understand why they would be, but another moving piece that could make a lot of this more interesting. Yeah, no, very true. Very true. So we're, we're sitting there now. So you have the Raptors below and I have the Raptors at the bottom of my tier two, but so even either way, that's a, a pretty small distinction. Three teams left Cavs, Celtics, Wizards. How do you split that? There, I could see multiple f- configurations that are totally fair. Yeah. I have the Cavs alone and then uh, Boston and Washington in their own tier together. For the regular season only, I have it the other way. I have the Cavs. I have the Cavs and Celtics together, and the Wizards separate. But if we were talking about the playoffs, I would I would agree with you and have it the same way. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's fair too. I think Boston's a I think Boston's a better regular season team than they are a playoff team, and and I think I think Washington will be better than them in the playoffs. So I think that I think that's a pretty accurate balance. Would you like? I, I, I'm intrigued by that theoretical Washington-Boston as a playoff series. I think that could be fun. Oh, that's what I want. I think it'd be fantastic. I mean, it'd be, you know, if you Isaiah Crowder and Isaiah Thomas and Jake Crowder both can't shut up. John Wall and Bradley Beal can't shut up. They're, they both teams hate each other. There's, uh, you know, Marcus Smart will say crap too. I mean, it's just a lot of people who will run their mouths and a lot of uh, a lot of. Uh, a lot of bad blood on both sides there. There's already been some feisty games. The, the Wizards had that ridiculous black uh, outfit game, which, I mean, ironically, may have kind of jump-started their season because people really, you know, I don't remember exactly what the record was, but people really got on them. It might have been early January. People really got on them at that point, like making fun of them for doing that. But, I mean, they won that game pretty handily and have, have really never looked back and have been, you know, really, really, you know, they've had the best record in the East for, you know, over three months now. I mean, they've been outstanding. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you very well could be right because that was right around the same time that the Wizards figured out they won that game going away, which was not that big a surprise. So they won that game and they went to twenty five and twenty. That was that that win pushed them to twenty five and twenty. Now they are thirty six and twenty three. Yeah, they were eighteen and eighteen, I believe, and now they're eight. They've gone eighteen and five since then, which is awesome. I've been waiting for the Wizards to be, to kind of figure it out for a few years, and no better time to figure it out than when you have no more options left. Hmm. Yeah, no, and and you know they, you know, again, they're they, this is a team that hasn't really won anything ever, and so you know if they could, you know, they're locked in with this core, but they've got a bunch of young guys, and they should be able to grow together for a while, and, and should be really good. So it should be fun to see. Hasn't really won anything ever. Com- applies to almost every. District of Columbia sports team other than the football team, (laughs) 
which is one of yes, I know. That's in, it's, know. it is amazing how there is that kind of that parallel. nobody like, like the caps. The caps I mean, no, were fascinating, but never really, never really won anything. The wizards, of course, have been in that boat. Though you know they, you know, if we're talking about the bullets, then you get they it. mostly just yeah they they mostly just stunk though. I mean they 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 had some good years in the seventies. I mean they they haven't won more than I think forty eight games since nineteen seventy seven when they won the championship or seventy eight. I mean it's wow. It's like they. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've, they've been. I mean, they basically it's the the parallels between them and the Warriors are pretty fascinating up until about five years ago. And you know, now the 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 Wizards are, are starting to have a bit of a renaissance themselves. And you know, with John Wall and, and Bradley Beal and Otto Porter, they should be really good for a while. I mean, they they should be they shouldn't they shouldn't be going anywhere. So, um, but yeah, I, I would have them in, in Boston and tier, and then I, I still think to Cleveland. You know, assuming everybody comes back healthy, I, I think Cleveland's a pretty significant step ahead of everybody else. Yeah, so they've won 46 games in 14-15, but other than that, they haven't won 45 or more since 77. Yeah, that's it. And I, I don't think they've, I don't think they've, I don't think they've, I don't know if they've been higher than a five seed then since then either. That, yeah, oh, it's, yeah, that's interesting, because I think Basketball Reference does it in terms of uh, division record, division seed, not overall. And they haven't made the Eastern Conference Finals at the bare minimum since 79. Yeah, it's been a it's been a barren stretch. It's been a very barren stretch. Oh, oh sorry, I should, I should mention they haven't team. done they haven't done those things since seventy nine, not seventy seven. Seventy nine, uh, seventy nine, they right. won fifty four games. Yeah. Right, since the seventies, they since they the 70s, have yeah. never won more than forty six games, and that was only once. And then other than that, they've been over forty five, and they've never made it past the second round of the playoffs. And to your point, no DC team has made it past the has made it to a the, the conference championship of in any sport in twenty years. So. Wow. Uh, you know, if the, if the if the Wizards if the Wizards could break through and get to the conference finals, it would be pretty huge for them on a variety of levels, and pretty huge for the city here where I'm at now. It's a pretty amazing circumstance, and with so then it all boils down to Cleveland, and they're in this super weird holding pattern because we all know how good they are. You know, there isn't any ambiguity in terms of that. They're the defending champions. They're an awesome team when they put everything together, and. I guess the only real question that I have is, you know, a will the will the rest of the guys, the still the still breathing guys, stay healthy, and how many of the players that are out would they theoretically need in order to win the East? And I think that answer is very low. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think they're still pretty far ahead. Boston is. I I understand why they kept the powder dry, but what keeping the powder dry really did, and and yes, they did beat the Cavs last night, is. That it, it just made it it made it that much more comfortable for Cleveland to just have a an overwhelmingly likely chance of making the making the NBA Finals, and I understand why you don't want to give up that much for this year because Boston was never going to change that entirely. You know, Cleveland was always going to be the favorite, but I don't know. It is a little bit less interesting to just kind of even if they're going through the motions, that going through the motions is probably enough. Yeah, no, I, I think, like I said, as long as as long as Kevin Love and J.R. Smith come back come back healthy, I think that they are, you know, prohibitive favorites to, to get back to the, to the finals. Hey, if Chris Anderson comes back, it can help him too, yeah, Chris, even though he's not on the team anymore. Chris, Chris, Anderson, Chris Anderson would help quite a bit. This is such a strange stretch because 
Well, I mean, other than the Durant thing, which is, of course, its own storyline, the intrigue is just in weird places. You know, it's some of it's at the bottom of the lottery. Some of it is these kind of mid-teams like the Wizards and the Celtics trying to figure it out who are, you know, they're not really title contenders, but they're certainly relevant. And we w- I don't know that we'll find any definitive answers on that kind of stuff in the next month, but I'm sure that we'll find a lot of movement and that movement will tell us something. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right on that. I think it's going to be a fascinating month, and it will, like you said, by the time we get to the to you know about March 20th, we're going to start to know where these teams stand, and then we're going to start to see the tankathon start. And you know, it's going to be for a lot of reasons, from injury standpoints to tanking to playoff positioning, it's going to be, I think, a really fascinating final six weeks. Nate and I do this. Actually, it usually does. Co- it sometimes coincides with the months that we've we've been bad about doing awards at the right times this year. Uh, but one thing that we like to do is a, a kind of like a player and a team that you'll be watching for the next time. It doesn't have to be the next month. It can be whatever. For you, as somebody who watches the whole league, do you have anything off the top of your head of like a player and a team that you're going to be th- be interested in for the next little while? I'm fascinated to watch that Clipper team to see where they end up because they, more than maybe any other team, are really desperate to finally make a playoff run. Uh, I'm pretty fascinated to see what happens with the Warriors, obviously, without Durant. I think they've got way more interesting. You know, I'd rather have them be healthy and not be interesting, but they're way more interesting now. And I think Toronto is really interesting for the same reason. Without Kyle Lowry, you know, we'll see, we'll see how, how the Raptors do. I think that that, you know, those are, those are three teams that, that have, you know, a lot of moving parts going on right now. And, and it'll be, I'll be very curious to see how they, uh, they're able to navigate these next few weeks. I don't have a specific team in mind, but I have two players and they're both big men who change zip codes. And it's not DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, he's what he is. Serge Baca in Toronto, as you kind of were going at before, even without Kyle Lowry, I want to see how that works, see how Dwayne Casey uses him. And then Nerlens in Dallas, because he ended up getting traded to a team that I could see being very interested in him as a free agent and having somebody's restricted rights and giving somebody an offer sheet are very, very different things. And so what will having him for this two months mean to those negotiations, mean to what he does? Because I think... On a, on purely on a basketball perspective, as long as he doesn't go to the wrong airport again, I, I think that hmm. he will he will fit in very well, especially as long as, when Dirk plays. Like I think I think he's closer to the archetype of what they should be looking for in that role man defensive center. You know, he's not Tyson Chandler, but he's good at what he does. And so I want to see how that works now, and then kind of think in my head about how that affects this summer because Dallas is another team that is always in the mix for stuff they don't they they always make things more interesting even if they don't end up getting the final result yeah no I agree with that and and, you know like you said we'll see if Orleans can make it on time to the airport in the future but you know that's definitely a guy that you know you could see them paying and you know it'll be very interesting to see how he uh how he plays I guess the other guy I'd be curious about is we look for is a complete train wreck as he has been the last few games going forward. Now he's got a chance to play more, but you know that's just looking like a a lost cause at this point. At least in Philadelphia, I, I think that's a guy that really needs a change of scenery. And you know maybe maybe it won't work, but I, I think that you know him in Philadelphia probably is running court, run its course at this point. I had talked it and. Uh, I joked probably even maybe with you during that car trip about how Julio Okafor would make sense on the Kings after they gave up on DeMarcus Cousins. And I still feel that way, you know, like that, if that would be yeah, a, a decent place for a, a reclamation project can sop up some, some possessions. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the Sixers are going to be thinking in July and June of what they want for him, but 
I, I hope that he can go somewhere where where he gets the coaching and the support where it makes sense, because I feel like he's going to get outplayed by Rashawn Holmes for the next month. And I have no idea what that does to his psyche. I have no idea what that does to the man- to new management psyche. But that whole situation is, is, is really, really interesting as well, because the teams that compel me the most when we talk about an offseason are teams with variability and teams with upside. And the Sixers have both. They could be quite good in a couple of years if everything works out. But they have so many possibilities open to them. Yep, they they really do, and you know they they're another one of these teams with a lot on the line this summer with the Laker pick, and you know, I think they're going to make a run at Kyle Lowry and some other big name players. Try to spend some of their money. They're got to try to get Ben Simmons healthy. They got to try to get Joel Embiid healthy. They may, you know, they eventually have to have contract extension negotiation with Joel Embiid. I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot to bite off there too, and uh, it'll be fun to to see how it plays out. Thank you so much for taking time. It was a pleasure doing this with you again. No problem, man. Looking forward to seeing you uh, next week back in the Bay for the uh, Warriors Celtics showdown. Oh, actually, that that leads to one other thing. Like, I was thinking about how funny it would be if the Clippers, like, because we, I think everybody pretty much feels that the Warriors are their worst matchup, and if yes. the Clippers ended up like basically falling out of the four five, which has always been kind of the worst case scenario for them, was being in that four five face the Warriors in the second round, and then the Spurs jumped the Warriors, and so that's the two seven. So it's like, hey, congratulations! Congra- congratulations! Like you got exactly what you didn't want. That would be that would be a hilarious outcome. That really would be. I mean, if that somehow happened, I mean, it'd be pretty amazing if yeah. it did. And we wouldn't have to travel that much, so that would be fun. <laughs> that would definitely be good. Yeah, I'm all for that. Uh, but thanks again, and take care. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time. You can read him at The Washington Post, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. That's T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. Such a great sport for coming on. He was actually on the East Coast last week doing various pieces of work, which I had forgotten when I asked him to do the show and thought we were in the same time zone, but we were able to make it happen because he's awesome. So you should definitely, you should read his work anyway, but if you want to support him just because he's a really good guy, and he's also doing a weekly newsletter now, you can check that out. I, I believe he has it all on his Twitter account, so you can check it there. All, as always, thrilled to be a part of the CLNS radio family. It's a great way to listen to this show and so many other good ones, and they're building their roster out all the time, including Game Theory podcast of my friend and great Real Jam radio guest Sam Vecini. I actually did his show last week. We talked a little bit about the injuries that are going on in the league, and so you can check out CLNS radio. They have a free app. It's a great way to listen to podcasts, and if you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. To be pragmatic, it's great if it's iTunes. It still is a large figure in the field, but really whatever it is. Also, you can subscribe. Great for Real Gym Radio because the day of the week is completely random. And you can also just download every episode. Whether you listen to it or not, I want you to listen to every episode. It makes me happy. But even if you don't, that is a really big way to help. And then the other absolutely massive thing you can do is check out our sponsors. SeatGeek for this one, free mobile app buying and selling tickets, use the promo code REALGM and you get $20 off your first order. I use it all the time. I have for a long time. Great way of, of buying and selling tickets. And then also you can check out Blue Apron. If you, if you haven't used it already, then I don't really know what else to tell you other than what I already have because I'm just, I'm a big fan of it. And I only have so many different ways that I can say that, but I'm a big believer in it. It's something I look forward to every week. Blueapron.com slash RealGM, three meals for free, including free shipping. So those are great ways to support the show. 
and keep it moving. You know, lucky enough to have sponsors, lucky enough to to make money doing this, and I, I do really enjoy it. And part of the reason this took longer to put together is because I have already recorded the next Real GM Radio. It is with Nathaniel Friedman, formerly of Freedarko, and it's an amazing conversation. It happened really spur of the moment, and it goes in a lot of different directions. I haven't even started editing it yet. It's going to be an absolute monster, but I mean that in a good way. So that will come out whenever I get the time to do it. My instinct is Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I make no promises, but you can check that out as well. It's a great reason to subscribe because the episodes come out at weird times. That is the nature of my life and the nature of what I do. You can, of course, also check out my work at Real GM, at The Sporting News, at The Athletic, podcasting work, Dunked on Basketball Podcast, Twitter NBA Show, and Locked on Warriors. So I go in a lot of different directions, busy, and have other things that you don't know about, which is a lot of fun. So working on those as well and everything else in Twitter NBA Show will be back actually after the next episode airs, so I'm not going to promo it as hard, but have all those things going and really do appreciate all of the support. It's invaluable. It means a lot. You can send any feedback, good, bad, indifferent, to NBA at gmail.com, at DannyLaRue on Twitter. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I might not take the time to respond. I always try to, but I make no promises. That's just the way it works for me. I'm very candid about it. But I appreciate all of that, and it does go into making the show better. And I think that your feedback has been integral to all of that kind of stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Thank you for taking the time to respond. Take care and make it a great day. 